I trust that uh, you're thankful for the opportunity to be out at the house of the Lord uh, and that we might uh, might learn from the things of his word this morning. And uh, I was thinking about it last night, uh, One of the, I guess one comment as we're getting started uh, this morning, and uh, Lord willing, we'll be looking at the uh, 15th chapter of the book of Romans, uh, and I, I had... Uh, I plan to be able to go through that as I've thought more about it. I don't know that whether I will make it through the entire 15th chapter of the book of Romans this morning or not. Uh, but I just kind of going along with some of the things we, Brother Derek mentioned in our Bible study this morning. And uh, a question, I guess, that I would ask to you this morning to think about is how much do you value God's Word? And, and I, I mean that seriously. I'm not, I'm not looking for answers this morning from you. But uh, if we think about how valuable it is to us, uh, not only for our learning and for, you know, for our comfort and for uh, helping us to set the, frame, the correct framework of thinking for our life, how much do you value God's Word? And if you really value it, how much do you think about it? How much do you read it? And how much do you put it into practice in your life? So that that kind of begins to say, you know, if you really value something, you will uh, you'll really take it to heart and and do something with it. So the the question the you know, question remains, you know, maybe you can think about that as the week goes on. How much do you really value God's word and what it teaches? Uh, and do you do you value it above? all the other things that you hear out here in the world that's going on going on these days. Well, I want to turn over to the 15th chapter of the book of Romans. Uh, this is uh, not this is the next to the last chapter of Paul's uh, letter to the church at Rome and uh, it has some things in there. I think he's he's beginning if you will to kind of tie a bow around the uh, around the message to the church here at Rome and bring things to a close and some of the things that he's been intending from the very beginning. And I, so as I, I thought about that, I said, well, I may have to go back and look at some things in the first chapter of the book of Romans that he expressed uh, when he was uh, when he was doing the, writing this letter and what his intent and purpose was for writing the letter. There, There's no doubt. He, he lays it out in the first chapter of the book of Romans. He had a desire to come and preach the gospel to those that were at Rome also, but he also had a desire to go on beyond Rome and preach the gospel to those that were in Spain. And so as he begins to do this, and I think he knew this, uh, and we'll get into this a little bit here in the church, he was going to need the help of the church at Rome to help further his journeys. Uh, you know, there's nothing there's nothing wrong. I've been, I've been thankful for this church here at Zion's Rest Church as I've made uh, uh, several trips over the last 15 years. Wow, hard to think it's been 14, 15 years, but it has been since I made the first trip uh, over to Africa, uh, to Tanzania and to Kenya and those places. And this church here has been so gracious uh, to assist me and help me with the finances that were needed uh, to be able to make such a journey as that. Uh, and Paul was no different. Here was, here was a man whose life was dedicated to serving God. Uh, yes, there were times when he worked as a tent maker and he would work with other people to, uh, to try to make ends meet and some things as he needed, uh, and he wasn't afraid to do that, okay? And I think that's one of the points of, uh, of Paul telling us that in his messages. 
Paul wasn't afraid of work. It wasn't like uh, he didn't know how and he wasn't capable of taking care of himself. But you know what? He also knew that it was appropriate to teach to the churches uh, that he vi- that he uh, visited, that he helped found, that they, they had a responsibility to help and assist uh, also. And so part of that message comes out here in this 15th chapter of the book of Romans that he was going to be looking to this church at Rome uh, to help uh, finance his journey as he wanted to go to Spain and preach the gospel uh, to those people over there. And so uh, as, as, if you recall, the 14th, this 15th chapter is not uh, like most of Paul's letter. It's not a standalone chapter. Chapters weren't laid out by Paul when he wrote the original letter. That was, uh, that was added later in later years to help uh, divide up uh, scriptures by chapter and verse to help it make it easier for us to find and study and so forth and to preach on. Uh, but uh, uh, as he was writing this letter, uh, the 14th chapter of this book of Romans, he's talking, he starts it out, and I'm going to just go back to 14 a little bit here this morning. But he says, he starts out 14 by saying, Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. Uh, Paul was writing to this church here at Rome, and we've laid this out throughout all of our teachings on the Roman letter that there were both Jews and Gentiles here at the church at Rome. There were conflicts because there were cultural differences. Uh, uh, there's even those that speculate that part of the problem may have may have arisen or been further accentuated, if you want to call it that, uh, by the fact that there was a time when Claudius Caesar had told had uh, uh, become upset at the Jewish people and had expelled the Jews from from Rome. Uh, from the city of Rome. You may remember uh, uh, that uh, Paul encountered uh, a couple of people in the book of Acts and he made comment that they had come uh, to this region of of Greece, uh, of Asia Minor. They had come there because they had been expelled from Rome. And so uh, as as he's writing this letter... A part of what may have been under consideration, you had cultural differences between the Jews and the Gentiles, but find the fact that the, the, the Jews had been raised up to know the law and to think that the law was above everything else, uh, uh, and yet they had now come to believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. But as we've mentioned here in, on other occasions, one of, the, one of the greatest challenges, it doesn't matter whether you're... Uh, you know, a, a person that never went to church, or maybe you're a person that grew up going to church all your life. But when you come to a different belief of the scriptures, uh, and let's just say somebody comes here that had attended church uh, in other places all their life, but they come here and say, well, they teach a little bit different here at, at Zion's Rest about uh, things that are laid out in the scriptures. But you know, one of the greatest challenges for people is to, to let go of all those things that they learned all those years ago. And the same is true for those that have never attended church at all. Even though you've come maybe to a place where now you believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior uh, and you begin to want to worship Him in church, yet it's hard to let go of all those things that you've always done and always thought and and uh, uh, you know, and begin to conform your life, uh, being transformed by the Word of God and not being conformed to this world, uh, as Paul says there in the 12th chapter, <coughs> it's hard to let go of the past. 
And that's just that's just a fact of life for all of us. And uh, and uh, so Paul is writing a letter here to the church at Rome, and he's got cultural differences among the congregation. And part of that cultural difference is because they come from different backgrounds. Uh, you've got Gentiles that were raised up uh, not knowing anything about uh, the religions of uh, of worshiping uh, the God of Israel and of, of Jesus Christ being a Savior. And then you've got uh, the people, the children that were that were descended of Israel uh, that were Jewish people that had been raised up in the law and part of the conflict we saw this in the 14th chapter was <coughs> there were those there that were saying uh, there were certain dietary customs uh, that they felt like they needed to continue to carry out and no doubt uh, Paul is partially addressing in this 14th chapter you know it didn't matter whether they were saying I'm following after a vegetarian diet because I believe that's what the law requires of me and no and uh, there were uh, there were others that say yes and I observe certain days certain days are more special than the others like the Sabbath day and they still honored and looked and worked and uh and and honored the Sabbath day as a day that you didn't work and didn't do any labor and so forth and still carried that out <coughs> and <coughs> Paul is looking at this and says <coughs> part of what he comments and says him that is weak in faith, receive ye not to doubt for disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. So he's saying the person that thinks he's got to continue to follow after the tenets of the law, honoring days, he goes on and says, one man thinks one day is above every other day. One man regards every day alike. He says, but every one of them ought to honor the day to God, no matter what they do, whether they ought think one day is above another or whether they think all days are alike. Every day is to be given honor to God in their lives. And so uh, as he's saying this, he makes the comment, those who are still saying we need to follow after certain tenets of the law so that we can be really good Christians, he says they've missed the point. And he, he, he was calling them weak in their faith. But he doesn't just condemn them. He says don't receive them to put them down or condemn them. He says you're supposed to help them. And he says, you know, don't go around, you know, uh, talking about them behind their back or, or even talking about them to their face even. You know, he says, don't do that. But he says, continue to be uh, the kind of person. And what part of what we mentioned last week was, is, you know, there's room in the church for some differences. And I'll tell you, there are people that don't think you can have any differences in the church. Everybody's got to be cookie cutter, you know, molded just alike, and if you're not, something's wrong with you. Well, I, I'm here to tell you, and people that have been here to Zion's Rest uh, say, you, know, you folks are just a little bit different. Well, you know what? That's okay. <laughs> That's all right with me. Uh, uh, that uh, uh, that we uh, follow after the principles of the Word of God. There's some things here that are not up for debate. <laughs> and part, you know what? you know what part of that would be? Salvation is by the grace of God, uh, and it's not by any. It's not by anything else. Uh, uh, the new birth. Uh, the new birth is a sovereign work of the Holy Spirit in your hearts, uh, uh, directed from God for His for His children, for His elect, uh, for those that He chose in Christ before the foundation of the world. 
those subjects there are not up for debate and uh, uh, say, well, if y'all, if you, if you're a little different, no, that's something that's held firm uh, as the heart of what we believe. But you know what? Uh, if we, if you want to have a Bible study here on, at ten o'clock on Sunday morning, that's okay with me. And if you want to have prayer in the middle of uh, uh, middle of song service, that's okay with me. And if you want to have another prayer uh, during the, uh, before song service, that's okay with me uh, because some things are tradition and some things are laid out a certain way because that's the way it's always been done but it's not necessarily uh, written out in the word of God that it has to be just like that okay some people would be concerned I and see, I'm fixing to preach this out here, and people, uh, people listening. So, uh, you know, it's uh, you know, if you don't, some people would think if you don't have a business meeting and follow Robert's rules of order, uh, then there's something wrong with you. Well, you know what? Well, we're a little group of folks here, and you know what? We generally get along, uh, agree on what needs to be done and what doesn't need to be done, and we may may have a vote, and we may not have a vote, but we all kind of agree what needs to be done, and it's done decently and in order, which is what the Word of God calls for us to do okay and so uh anybody that doesn't doesn't like, doesn't like that then uh you, you just disagree with me and move on somewhere else you know it's it's okay uh but uh, we'll continue to try to be what we should be but there's some essential things that we ought to agree on and then there's some things that are uh non-essential that we ought to have a little bit of liberty on but everything as we mentioned last week ought to be done with charity no matter what we do uh, and that's the kind of love and care that we ought to have for each other. So as, as Paul moves into this 15th chapter of the book of Romans, he starts out by saying, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. There's that, uh, there's that phrase again uh, uh, that will come up a little bit uh, that Paul also mentioned over in the Philippian letter. He says, those of us that are strong. Well, I think probably he was, based on the 14th chapter, he would see those uh, uh, that had uh, uh, that had uh, continue to believe, well, you know, I've got to follow after certain dietary requirements of the law, and I've got to honor certain days. He would see those as probably being those that were weak in the, in the faith. But you know what? He got, as we go on through this, he doesn't, he doesn't brag on those that think, think they are the strong ones either. Uh, you, might, you might go in here and look at this, and you know, you know if probably if you went into this congregation at the church at Rome, and you asked those that follow, uh, followed after the dietary customs uh, uh, of being a, a vegetarian, or those who honored certain days above others, and went in and asked them personally, are you weak in faith? Oh no, I'm not weak in faith. I, I'm actually the one that's strong in faith because I'm still following after the things of the law. And that's what what Paul had been writing to them about all the way back to the seventh chapter. If you want to go back to the seventh chapter of the same book of Romans uh, uh, about the things that were causing trouble in trying to follow after the things of the law. And he says, uh, and no doubt uh, there were those that, uh, that were felt they were superior because they didn't honor every day or they didn't have a vegetarian diet. And there's those of us that in, in the church, uh, we can get to where we think we're better than the other, some other, somebody else in the church. Uh, and, you know, that's not the way we're to look at life. Uh, Paul, uh, if Jesus Christ, and we'll get over that to that in a minute in the Philippian letter, if Jesus Christ took no honor upon himself but came as a servant, 
you and I can ought to do. That's our pattern. That's, that's how we ought to be conducting ourselves as well. So he's not saying here that, uh, uh, you know, well, these are strong, these are weak, and so we need to look down on this one that doesn't. You know, somebody new comes into the church. Maybe they're still trying to get adjusted uh, uh, to, you know, uh, to, to following after Christ. And they have their times of weakness and their times of doubt and their times of struggle. You know what? We're not to go around and mash on them and step on them and stomp on them when they have a moment of weakness. We're to try to help them. That's what we're supposed to do. Try to strengthen them in their times of weakness. Uh, you know, maybe they still maybe they still got this problem or that problem uh, that they brought with them from their former life. Maybe from their former church, maybe from their non-church. Uh, they're still struggling with things. Uh, you know what our job, if you're a little stronger in that area, why don't you try to help them? Why don't we try to help them? So he says, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak, not to please ourselves. You know, uh, we can get the idea coming to church, uh, well, it's all about me. <laughs> if it's not satisfying me and what I want and what I think ought to be done, then there's something wrong. He says, you know what? Uh, Paul, writing to the church here at Rome, he says, you know what? Church at Rome, uh, one of the things you need to get over is getting over it's all about me. Uh, it's all about Christ. <laughs> and you, if you're a little stronger in the faith, you know what you ought to be doing? You ought to be helping somebody else instead of going around, you know, oh, look at me. I'm stronger than you are. No, get down on your knees strong and help somebody that's weaker than you are. And so uh, and so he says, uh, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to, to edification. I'm going to read several verses here before I stop and come back a little bit. But he says, for even Christ, I think we heard that this morning. Go read Philippians chapter 2. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that were reproached thee fell on me. You want to say, well, uh, if, you, if your center column reference doesn't tell you this, uh, uh, I can tell you this. Psalm 69 and 9. Go read it sometime. Uh, he, Paul does that a, a quite a bit here in this chapter of the 15th chapter, he says, as it is written, as it's been said. And we're going to look at some of that this morning uh, because there's something else that I think we ought to get out of that as we look back. But he says, even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Hope is a theme that's been laid out throughout this whole book. And patience is something that's also been laid out previously in this, in the, in this uh, Paul's letter to the church here at Rome. And, I, you know, I, I repent, or at least I hope I repent, of some of the things that I've maybe said as a young minister, you know, looking at verses uh, like uh, the fifth chapter of the book of Romans, and you know, that says patience, uh, tribulations work as patience, and patience experience and experience hope. And I'd say, you know, people are all the time praying for patience, you know. Well, uh, patience, that just means you're asking for tribulations to come into your life. Uh, well, you know what? Paul was actually trying to teach the church at Rome. Uh, I'm old enough now and can uh, maybe a little more experienced uh, uh, and go back and look at some things that I used to say, uh, whether jestful or not, and, and saying things like that. You know what the tribulations of life are supposed to teach you? It's supposed to teach you patience. You say, well, well I'm not very patient. 
Well, uh, maybe you need to be learning some more from the tribulations because I guarantee you, uh, I can guarantee you by the word of God, turn to six, the 16th chapter of the book of John, uh, 1633, uh, where, where Jesus Christ looked at his apostles and say, in this world ye shall have tribulations, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Tribulations are a part of life. You know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether it's sickness, death, uh, tri uh, trials of other situations that are going on. It doesn't matter whether it's national uh, politics or whatever. Their life is full of tribulations. Uh, you know what? And you know what? Tribulations are not supposed to make you angry, and they're not supposed to make you mad, and they're not supposed to make you vengeful. Tribulations are supposed to teach you patience. So he tell he tells us here, uh, and you know what? And one of the and I is like I, I just kind of tripped over this a few years ago. <laughs> you know, I love the way way God blesses you to just kind of stumble across things in the scriptures that have always been there, but suddenly you're suddenly you see it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so uh, several years ago, I was preaching through some things in the book of of, uh, of Hebrews, and all of a sudden, it dawned on me there was something said in the tenth chapter of the book of Hebrews that leads us into the eleventh chapter of the book of Hebrews uh, that I had never really fully grasped before. And so, for your benefit, I'm gonna turn over there and look at that this this morning. Uh, Hebrews chapter ten, uh, and. He's been writing to these, these Hebrew brethren. I'm not going to give you a full discourse on the book of Hebrews this morning, uh, but he's been pointing the, uh, uh, the Hebrew children, the Jewish people, uh, uh, that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And he's been laying out the case as to why he was the Messiah and why he was the one that was promised to come and so forth. Uh, and he's continuing to point and look uh, uh, to those that were trusting in Christ. And he makes a comment to, to them here uh, like this. Uh, and he says, uh, but call, verse 32 of Hebrews 10, but call to remembrance the former days in which after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions. Uh, Boy, now this is almost sounds like it could be written to the Jews that were at Rome or the Jews that were at uh, uh, Philippi. And maybe it was generally a letter to all these people in all these places that had come out of a Jewish background uh, because uh, we'll see this as we get into that 15th chapter. There's something about uh, being a Jew and suddenly decide, deciding you believe that Jesus Christ is Messiah and uh, <coughs> that causes you to be cut off from your fellow Jews, because if uh, if you're if they continue in their normal beliefs of Jewish religion and the Jewish way of teaching, uh, and don't recognize Jesus Christ as Messiah, those that do recognize Christ as Messiah are cut off from their family. They're cut off from. They don't have anything to do with them anymore, and they don't have anything. The uh, the they're they're kicked out of the businesses that they're in or whatever from the financial means of their family. All of that happens. Uh, and you say, well, Brother Charles, that, that was just something that happened uh, you know, 2,000 years ago when Christ first came along. No, uh, I, I can tell you for a fact, uh, my friend that I, I've mentioned several, on several occasions, uh, Brother Eric Walker uh, over here in uh, Birmingham, uh, who, is, uh, who was raised Jewish, uh, uh, came out of Pittsburgh, in fact, uh, the, the little congrega the congregation up there that uh, the gunman shot up some people back uh, uh, a year or so ago, uh, uh, 
That was the congregation he was raised in there in Pittsburgh. Well, when he was 40-something years old, he began to say, I want to know more about Scripture than just what the rabbis teach. So he got a Bible and he began to read it. Guess what? He found Jesus in there. And, uh, and when he did, he became to believe that Jesus Christ was that Messiah that they had been looking for. And now none of his family or Jewish friends that he'd known for all these years, with the exception of his mama, <laughs> have much of anything to do with him. Still that way today. Okay? So he says, I call to remembrance, verse 32, Hebrews 10, call to remembrance the former days in which after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions, partly while she were made a gazing stock, I went back and looked that word up. That's not one I use in my everyday vocabulary. Uh, but a gazing stock, uh, uh, the definition of that is somebody that's led up on a stage or, or put on a stage and then mocked or made fun of. Okay? Gazing stock. He says, For ye had uh, uh, partly whilst ye were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, partly whilst ye became companions of them, that were so used. So some of them weren't made gazing stocks themselves, but they were companions of those that were treated like that. And he says, For ye had compassion of me in my bonds. No doubt Paul had been totally uh, uh, rejected by the traditional Jews there in Jerusalem. Uh, in fact, we know this to be true uh, from reading his account in the things in the book of Acts. Uh, and he says, For ye had compassion on me in my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and enduring substance. Now, I'm going to pause on that scripture just long enough to say this. What they did was they took of their own natural goods and they gave of their substance to Paul. And the reason they were willing to do that is because, you know what? They knew they had a better substance waiting on them. So they weren't tied down to the earthly wealth. And the earthly, they were willing to share that with others because, hey, I got something better waiting on me out there in the future. And so he says, Cast not away therefore your confidence which hath great recompense of reward. Don't cast away your confidence in Christ because of all these things. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. So his, the comment that I wanted to get to, which I'm sure you, you recognized, uh, he says, For ye have need of patience. What? While you're waiting on the promises of God. All right. So you go into the 11th, cha the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, and the 11th chapter of Hebrews is chock full, uh, to use an old term. Uh, it's just full of men and women that are laid out as examples of people. That, uh, that God, that they, the Bible says about them in that 11th chapter of Hebrews, they were great men and women of faith. But you know what? Their life wasn't full of, uh, of roses, if you will. Their life is full of trials. Uh, and their life is full of waiting on God. 
the Bible talks about Moses, uh, you know, and about Moses was a great man of faith. Uh, but you know what uh, Moses endured? He endured 40 years in the wilderness with a group of people uh, that didn't believe what God had told them he would do for them. Uh, and, he, and Moses ended up being out there with them for 40 years, uh, enduring uh, uh, the punishment of God while that generation all died out. Abraham, we've mentioned on several occasions, waited over 20 years, uh, uh, 25 years I think it was. God made him a promise that he was going to have a son, that in that son all the nations of the earth were going to be blessed. Uh, uh, but Abraham had to wait 25 years to see that promise fulfilled. You begin to see that there's patience involved in serving God. Uh, there's patience in waiting on the promises of God. There's patience that we're to have. And so he tells them here, uh, cast not off your confidence, which, which hath great recompense. For ye have need of patience that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. God has prayed promises to you and me. Uh, and you know what? Uh, you might not see the fulfillment of it tomorrow or today or next week or next month or next year. But if God has promised something to you, my friends, it's going to come to pass. Uh, and so we just need to be patient. Uh, you know, there's people today, and I, I'm one of those too that looks out here at the world that we're living in and the wickedness that I see going on around us a lot of times. Uh, and I say, surely God is coming back in the clouds tomorrow <laughs> maybe today <laughs> but you know what uh, it, I, I don't know that right and uh, there's no promise been made to me other than he will come back and you know what I, what I'm to do what you're to do uh, if he doesn't come back in my lifetime uh, my children uh, you know what they should do in their lifetime they should patiently wait for his coming because he's coming and if they don't come, if he doesn't come in their lifetime uh, my grandchildren should be saying uh, looking and saying he's going to come I know he is why because he promised that he would and our job is to patiently wait. All right. <laughs> I spent a lot of time on that, didn't I? For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience. I, I, I mentioned patience to start with. But you know what? Uh, listen to what Scripture does is, should do for you and me. Listen, this is what he says. Cry, for even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. Uh, the things that you should have received, Christ received. Uh, the punishment that you should have received, the lashes that you should have received, uh, the darkness that fell upon Christ that day when the Father turned His back upon Him because of the sin that was laid upon Him, that's what you and I deserved. And the reproaches that fell on Him uh, 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 fell on, that should have fallen on thee fell on, on me, talking about Christ. Uh, and He says, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that through patience and comfort of the Scriptures we might have hope. Now, hope is important to you and me. Living uh, by hope. Uh, living by hope, hopefully waiting that there's going to be a better day. Uh, that Christ is still on the throne. We turn back over. I want to just turn back over real quickly uh, and let's turn to the 8th chapter of the book of Romans. Uh, Paul in the 8th chapter of the book of Romans is describing uh, over the first part of it after he's gone through chapter 7 and described the struggle uh, the, that the, the, the man uh, living in the flesh and living after the law has 
The struggle that that man has is the fact, the things that he would do, he does not. And the things that he would not, those he do. And Paul's all turned inside out, if you will, saying, uh, you know, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Uh, and he says, I thank my God through Christ Jesus, my Lord, that he's going to deliver me. But then he goes on into eight and begins to describe the struggle of the flesh and the struggle of the spirit and how the, these things work with each other. Uh, uh, here is, is we have flesh and spirit all in one, uh, one body, uh, how this battle goes on for us. And he tries to give us assurance that if you've been born of the Spirit of God, you have the assurance living in you that you're one of God's children. And that one of these days, uh, and he says, the struggle is, part of what he gets to in, in Romans 8 here, he says, we get to longing. He, at least I think Paul, and you know, we probably don't sit around and think like this too much today. I'm, I'm just, you know, Paul was sitting, sitting around and expressing the fact he longed for the day when his old flesh would be glorified and he wouldn't have the struggle of battling against the flesh anymore. And so he, he here in Romans, he says this. He says, uh, uh, For the creature was made subject to vanity, verse 20, uh, not willingly by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself shall be also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into that glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan and groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption. To wit, or in other words, the redemption of the body. He says, part of what we're agonizing and groaning over what we're waiting to see this body be redeemed so that we don't have to have this struggle of flesh and spirit anymore going on within us but he, then he says this for we are saved by hope what what's he talking about we're saved by the hope that we know it's going to happen one of these days and he says for we are saved by hope but hope that is seen it's not hope. <laughs> if you see it, it's a reality. It's not hope anymore. It's not actually been concluded. But we can have a hope that's not a wish, but an earnest expectation that's going to happen because it's based on what God and Jesus Christ and the apostles and the prophets have told us, okay? And he says, For if, uh, for if we, are, we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why did he yet hope for? But if we hope for that, we see not. Then we do we with patience wait for it. If it was something I was wishing for, I might with patience wait and it might not ever happen. <laughs> but when our patience is built on hope and hope is built on the fact that God has told us it's going to happen, that we're earnestly expecting that it's going to happen because God has said so, then we do our hope while we patiently wait for it to come to pass. So, all right. So, having gone back and explained some of the things that are laid out here about hope uh, in this uh, in this book of Romans that's already been taught to us, he tells us that whatsoever things in verse 4 now, Romans 15 again, he says, whatsoever things were written aforetime, they were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. The things that were written, think about all the, the journeys and the struggles of the children of Israel. Yet God was with them. God was with them. Those things are written for our learning 
that we through patience. But you know what? You know what? It also teaches the same thing that I was talking about a minute ago. Everything didn't happen right now. Now, so think about this. Some 2,000 years, and that's approximately, without me going back and doing all the calculations, but approximately uh, 1,600, uh, no, I'm going to say more, between 1,600 and 2,000 years time before the coming of Christ, God appeared to Abraham. And God told Abraham, Abraham, get up and go to a land that I'm going to show you. And he says, uh, and then finally told Abraham, every place your foot treads on this land will be given to you. Now, Okay, there's there's a promise, and he also told him I should that you'll have a you'll have a son, and in your son shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Now follow this, okay? So it was some four hundred years plus, and a plus on on the plus plus side. It was over probably five hundred years or more from the time God told Abraham that all this land would be yours. It was over 500 years from that time till the time the children of Israel came in and conquered that land that was called Israel. 500 years. But God told them it was going to happen, right? Their job was patience and waiting and knowing that it was true because God said so, okay? And and so uh, we think about it. So it was then close to 2,000 years from that time that God told Abraham that in thy son shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And that was a prophecy, if you will, or a foretelling of the fact that this that Christ was going to become a descendant of Abraham, of Abraham's family, because in Jesus Christ all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That didn't come about some 2,000 years later. And now we're over 2,000 years or close to 2,000 years removed from the time of the coming of Christ and we know He's coming back again. How do we know that? Because all the th promises of God are in Him, yea, and amen. They're true. Uh, uh, what our job is to patiently wait for these things to be fulfilled. And He says, and you know what that should do? Looking back at all these old scriptures and seeing old scriptures, looking back at all these scriptures uh, and the things that happened in times of old, they should comfort you. God, God's word is intended to be a comfort to you and to teach you patience and to give you hope. Uh, so uh, when we come together on a Sunday morning, and you're and you're you're looking. Uh, uh, are you uh, are you wishing for God to bless you, or are you hoping based on the fact that God has promised? Uh, as we assemble ourselves together uh, and praying for one another and praying for the one that's preaching the message, uh, are we anticipating, hopefully? that there's going to be a great blessing and refreshing for us when we come together here. Is that what we're doing? Are we getting comfort from God's Word? Uh, uh, we know uh, many of you across this congregation and all of us uh, in some way or another over the last uh, year or so have experienced death in our lives and, and downfall. In all of that, uh, uh, yes, it's times of sorrow, times of tribulation, times of trial, but eventually along the way do you find comfort from God's Word and hope Hope from God's word that that's not the end of things, and in all of that, you can take consolation and, and and understand that by patience and comfort of the scriptures, we have hope. 
I tell you, that's if we, if we miss out on that part of the that that's part of what God's word. You know, uh, God's word is not all just about uh, making you feel you know feel good about yourselves, but it ought to make you feel good about God and what He's doing and what He's working, even though you don't see it all coming to pass. Now He says, "For we for who whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope." Now the God of patience, don't you like it when? When, uh, when uh, the, the, you know, we, the, a little bit later here in this 15th chapter, he says, the God of hope. But here he says, now the God of patience and consolation grants you to be like-minded one toward another according to Jesus, Christ Jesus. You know what? That, what he's telling us? He's telling us, you ought to be like-minded, you strong brethren, even if you just think you're strong in the faith. You ought to be patient with those that are weak. You ought to be willing to wait and to strengthen and to help. And let this mind be in you. He says, let this, uh, uh, now, the, now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded uh, uh, toward, uh, toward one another uh, according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What was he saying? Church, be unified with one mouth, with one mind. Be like-minded. Your, your mindset is not, what, what am I getting here today? What can I do to help somebody else today? That's Okay, so, so now we're going to turn to Philippians chapter 2, uh, where Brother Derek was teaching uh, this morning during Bible study uh, because it's uh, maybe the best place that we can go to. If we're to be like-minded, what are we to be like-minded in? Patience, comfort of the scriptures, hope, hoping for these things, not seeing ourselves as better than somebody else, but let us with one mind. You know, there's one thing you can't with. Uh, uh, well, I put you know. Let's give let's give an example. I was kind of thinking about something last night. You know, you know when when the Alabama fans are all gathered together in the stadium and they're all yelling "Roll Tide." They're of one mind and one mouth and one accord, and they got one goal, right? Well, you say, yeah, 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 okay. We're to, we should be more so like that. Uh, I shouldn't, we shouldn't be having a different mouth and a different mouth and a different mouth in the church. Uh, we're to be one mind and one accord together, striving to serve God. And, and helpful to one another, hoping for one another, praying for one another. That ought to be our mindset. And, 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 if, and if having an Alabama example helps you, then I hope it helps you. You know, But that ought to be our mindset. We're together. We're serving God together. We're helping one another together. We're to be patient together. Those of you that think you're strong, you might not be as strong as you think you are. There might just be a time when you need the help of the weakest brother in the house to come along and help you in your time of need. Uh, are you uh, those of you that are, that are weak? Uh, by the strong, if those of you that are strong, you ought to be helping one another. If there, if there be any, therefore, any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, uh, any bowels and mercies, this is Philippians chapter 2, uh, fulfill ye my joy, Paul says. Fulfill ye my joy that ye be what? like-minded we're to be one mind 
like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, <laughs> of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. So what's our mindset to be? If we're going to be like him, this is the one who created the heavens and the earth, who created the host of heaven, who created the angels, who created all things. Uh, this is the one uh, that uh, uh, that is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He submitted himself that his glory be laid aside because of you. Because of you. And so can we lay aside our glory that we think we have and the attitude that we think we have uh, that we have <laughs> a lot of times. Can we lay aside our attitude to be a servant to each other while we're here? That's what it's all about. That makes us like Christ. And you know what? Christ, uh, when we get back over here into this 15th chapter, you begin to look at how Christ laid aside himself. Uh, and we're and he's encouraging us to be like-minded like that about ourselves. Christ came and died for a group of people that weren't like him. It wasn't even in some cases people that believed in the law. He died for the Gentiles too that were heathens. And, and so he, as he goes on through this, uh, he says now, now uh, that ye may be, verse 6 now, Romans 15, that ye may be with one mind and one mind. Can you imagine if a church, even a, and we're a small group of folks here at Zion, but can you imagine us working together with one mind and one accord, being like-minded in our prayers, in our thoughts, in our attitude, and not only as being servants to each other, but occasionally at least, or maybe asking ourselves, how can we serve the community that we live in? What can we do? I don't know that I have all the answers for you right now, okay? But I'm just saying, if we are like-minded asking ourselves, how can we be better servants, not only of each other, which we ought to be? That ought to be like that ought to be like getting up and breathing, being servants to each other here in the church. Uh, but uh, ha but how can we also serve the community that we live in, so that we're letting the light of God shine forth from this place for Him to get the glory and not for us? Being servants. So, so he says uh, that ye may be one mind and one mouth, glorifying God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive ye one another as Christ also received us to glory. You know how we're to receive each other? Christ received us even though we were all sinners, right? 
And, uh, and, and if I could go back, and maybe I will real quickly. Think about, think about this because it's kind of, kind of related. If we turn over to the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians, there at the end of the fourth chapter, he says this, uh, Grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. And be ye kind to one another, <laughs> uh, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, forgive, has forgiven, hath forgiven you. Why did God forgive you and me? It wasn't because we were. It wasn't because one day we made a confession and had a prayer. We have been forgiven of our sins for Christ's sake, because the obedient servant Son of God came and died for us. And so now He tells us here: Wherefore receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to glory. How did he, he said, how did he receive us? Uh, he received us because, you know what? That's one of God's little chosen ones. That's one of those ones that I love before the foundation of the world. Uh, you know what? It doesn't matter about this thing or that thing. He received us to glory because he loved us before the world began. He says, wherefore receive ye one another as Christ also received us to glory, to the glory of God. Now I say, and we'll try to get through this portion of this 15th chapter here and then and probably bring it to a close. I knew it was going to be difficult uh, today. <clears throat> but he says, uh, now, I, now, I, now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers. Now I'm going to tell you, if I read that verse of Scripture by itself, and and I think, and, and, and I want you to think about, it. he was a Christ was a minister of the circumcision to the Jews to to fulfill the to confirm the promises made to the fathers. Now, from a Jewish standpoint. You've got Jews and Gentiles here in this church. From a Jewish standpoint, you could say, he's the Messiah. He's the Lamb of God. He's that one that was been promised all these years that was going to come of the root of the of the of the root of David, the tri uh, of the root of David, of the uh, root of Jesse, of, of the tribe of David, all those things, uh, uh, the uh, the line of the tribe of Judah. All of those things, the promises that there was one going to come that was going to sit on the throne of David, that he was going to redeem his people and uh, and redeem them back to, to God. All you say, well, all those promises are great. But you know what? There's another there's other promises made in there besides that. And the Jews had missed had missed most of it for most of their for most of their time, are like you and I. How many times do you read scriptures and you, you read it? But you kind of read over the stuff that's there, right? Or maybe it don't quite fit into the way you think. Because they were, the Jews were convinced <clears throat> Yahweh is our God. He's our God. And you know what? He was. <laughs> he was their God above all the other gods that were out there in the world. He was their God that looked upon. Uh, his lot was Jacob. Jacob was his lot of all the people out there on the world. That was the one he chose to bless. Was Jacob, okay, and his and his descendants with him, and so forth, okay. Uh, but uh, but if we think about it, they had gotten so ingrained at that that they missed some things that were laid out in scriptures. And so he says he was a he was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God 
to confirm the promises made to the fathers. What were those promises? Paul tells us what the promises were. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Not only was he a minister of the circumcision to confirm the promises made to the fathers, being Jewish fathers, but he also that the Gentiles might glorify God. That was also part of his promise, that the Gentiles were going to glorify him. And he says, as it is written, for this cause will for this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. Okay, maybe you've got a good center column reference. If you do, yours will tell you that that is quoted or written from Psalm, uh, Psalm 1849. Let's turn over to Psalm 1849. If you got your Bible, I want you to do that. Because there's something here or as we look over the next couple of scriptures, uh, there's a couple of things you need to see that I saw. And I said, ooh, okay. And so uh, as we turn over to Psalm 18 uh, and verse 49, he says, Therefore uh, will I give thanks uh, to thee, O Lord, among the heathen. Wait a minute. That didn't say heathen over there in Romans chapter 15. He says, Therefore will I give thanks to thee, O Lord, among the heathen, and sing praises unto thy name. Uh, over here, Paul tells us heathen means Gentiles. And he says, and again he saith, Rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. That's from Deuteronomy 32 and 43. Let's turn over to Deuteronomy 32 and 43. And let's read what it says there in, in that portion of Scripture. In Deuteronomy it says, Rejoice, O ye nations, with, the, with his people, for we will avenge the blood of his servants and will render vengeance to his adversaries and will be merciful unto his land and to his people. Rejoice, O ye nations. Paul tells us uh, over here in the 15th chapter that it says, Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with the people. Uh, uh, and again he says, uh, And again, Praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, uh, and, uh, and laud him, all ye people. Uh, you can go and turn. That's written in Psalm 117 and 1. We're going to turn over there because uh, I want us to read all these places that Paul is quoting from. In Psalm 117 and 1, it says, Praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise Him, all ye people, for His merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise ye the Lord. So, and then he goes on again, and he says, Again! Isaiah saith, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he shall rise up to reign over the Gentiles. In him shall the Gentiles trust. Well, he's quoting from Isaiah 11 and 10. Let's turn and see what Brother Isaiah said over there in Isaiah 11 and verse 10. And he says this, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign to the people, and it shall be the Gentile and to it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. Okay, so what Paul has suddenly turned on a dime here, if not really uh, continuing to teach the unity of the body here at Christ, he says, for all of you people out there that thought that uh, Christ was just coming for you, the Jews, he says, he's been telling you for years 
uh, all the way back in the Psalms and all the way to Deuteronomy, a book written about the time that just before the Jews entered into Canaan's land, coming out of their 40 years of wilderness. He told you in Deuteronomy. He told you in Psalms. The prophet Isaiah told you that he was coming that the Gentiles might give him glory along with the Jews. He was a minister of circumcision to you to tell you about the promises, which includes that He would have mercy and that the Gentiles might glorify Him for His mercy. So you see, a lot of times we get the idea we've got it all figured out. And you know, and I hear you know you kind of hear people preach this way in some ways. It, they, they'll preach kind of like the fact that uh, you know somewhere along the way God changed His plan. You know that God, God, you know the the Jews rejected uh, uh, rejected Christ uh, when He came into this world to redeem them. So lo, He turned to the Gentiles like it was some uh, new idea that God had. God turned to him because he knew that's, that he was going to be rejected. He had known it all along. He had already told them all the way back into Deuteronomy, uh, the fourth book of the Bible. He had already told them, or the fifth book of the Bible, uh, he had already told them that, they, that he was going to come and that for the Gentiles also and that they would give him glory for his mercy on them. You know what? It wasn't all about keeping the dietary laws. It wasn't all about the Sabbath. It was also that those who had never known the dietary laws of the law and those who had never honored the Sabbath were also found mercy on this one that told them he was going to do it years and years and years ago because God has a people in every kindred nation, tribe, tongue, and people on the face of the earth. And I'll tell you, he came and redeemed them on the cross without the loss of a single one. He came, Bible says, He came down from heaven. You know, this. He, he came not to do what He wanted to do, okay? It's, that's kind of what 15 is telling us and what Philippians tells us. He came to be a servant. He came down, uh, John tells us in the 6th chapter of the book of heaven, I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of Him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which He hath given me, I should lose nothing, but raise it up again at the last day. He didn't lose a single one. If he wasn't, if he had, he wouldn't be the Savior. He would be the wannabe Savior. He's the Savior who came and accomplished exactly. That's the reason when uh, uh, after he had lain in the grave for three, three days and three nights, God honored him and he came forth to the tomb and he was glorified and now sits on the right hand of the Father because he was successful in what he came to do. So, uh, as we look through this, I got a little ways through 15. Well, I guess we'll finish it up next time. There's more here, but he's tying a bow around this, and he's about to tell these, uh, these Jews and Gentiles now together that he's saying, be united, be of one mind. He's fixing to give them an example of what he has, he's done and what other churches have done and the fact that he needs their assistance in going forward to preach the gospel. I'll tell you, uh, it's, a, it's a complete book. <laughs> it, it's a complete book that not only tells us what all Christ has done for us and what He accomplished on the cross, but it tells us what we ought to be doing about it and how we ought to act and conduct ourselves while we do. May God bless you throughout this next week. Let us learn to be uh, uh, not conformed to this world 
but be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we might be like-minded, one mind, one accord, working together here as we serve God. May God bless you is our prayer.